Mary Clarence, are you with us? I don't know this one. I, I, be, I better sit this one out. Excuse me. Reverend Mother says Mary Clarence has a background in music. Really, Mary Clarence? Were you a choir mistress? Sort of freelance. Freelance? Really? Oh. You don't think I see? You think I took vows yesterday? I know what you're up to, you and Reverend Mother. Uh, what? You're a ringer. She brought you here to replace me, out with the old. Oh, could you help us, Mary Clarence? Mary Lazarus, you're terrific, but we could really use some help. Please, you've heard us. We're terrible. <laughs> well, there's a word for this. Mutiny. So, Mary Clarence, you think you can do better? I believe I'd like to see that. Go ahead, sister. Make them sing. Welcome to Out of Touchstone. It's that time of year, or should I say it's the end of another year on the show, where we're going to do our... um, or year in review. We're going to also hand out our Ronnie Awards. Uh, I'm, I'm your host, Mike DeKalb. On the other end of the Zoom line this time, we're trying out a new technology. Instead of Skype, we're going Zoom. It's my co-host, Chad Smart. Chad, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Yes, we are, uh, you know, we, we're, we're moving on with the times. We, I think Skype is very 2008, and now we're, you know, catching up to 2020. We're Zooming. Who's Zooming who? We should throw in some uh, Aretha Franklin here. <laughs> well, like I said, we, it's, a, it's a chance to do our, our look back at, at a year. I can't believe we've gone through this year so quickly. Now, granted, it was only six Touchstone yeah. films in 1992, but we also had a reformat. We added in looking at Disney and Hollywood pictures as well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, if we want to just get right into it. I, like I said, there was six Touchstone films in 1992. Uh, one considerably better than the other five if you want to look at uh, financially successful uh and that film of course was sister act uh it, that made 139.6 million dollars which is good enough for sixth place in the year-end box office uh again it's sister act and it's the other five the other five chad on the top of your head do you know what the second highest grossing film of, of 1992 for touchstone was uh i'm gonna go with three ninjas and then i'm gonna ask you cumulatively the other five did they come close to making even half of what sister act made no 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 yeah, no and yes yes the first question is correct yes three ninjas is the second highest grossing movie of the year and no the other ones didn't come close and i'll explain in a moment uh again three ninjas was 44th at the box office and only made 29 million dollars i say only but didn't cost that much to make so it was fairly successful got some sequels um then we had Captain Ron, which only made $22.5 million, which is good enough for 56th place. Uh, and then it's a big drop down to the Gun in Betty Lou's handbag, which made $3.7 million, good enough for 128th place. Uh, after that, we have Noises Off, which made $2.3 million, which was 145th place. Mm. And last but not least, well, maybe... Um, I mentioned it on the show. We had our first Touchstone film that grossed less than a million dollars, and it's Crossing the Bridge, which only made a mere $480,000, and it finished in 190th place. Uh, Cumulatively, in 1992, the Touchstone films combined for $197.6 million. Now, if you look at a per-film average, uh, granted, it's kind of weighted by Sister Act, but the per-film average was 32.9% million dollars over the course of six films um i i'm just kind of looking through some of my notes i compare them to some of the other year and review episodes we've done and i feel like there's been some years where touched on this average over 40 million dollars per film in 1991 they averaged 30.6 million so technically speaking they made had a better per movie average in 92 um but again we said sister act made 139.6 the other five combined to make 58 mm. So, yeah, much less than half of Sister Act's uh, tally, I should say. Uh, 
across the studio, if you look over at Walt Disney Films, well, they had the number one movie of the year in Aladdin. That made $217 million. They also had Honey, I Blew Up the Kid was 22nd. Mighty Ducks was 31st. The Muppet Christmas Carol was 47th. The, the re-release of Pinocchio was 67th. And the re-release of The Great Mouse Detective was 83rd. And finally, Newsies, which only made $2.8 million, was 138th place. Now, again, as compared to Touchstone, which $32.9 million per film, Disney made $389 million on seven films, good enough for a per-movie average of 55.6. Now, again, you, you got Aladdin in there. That, that, but you take Aladdin out, you take Sister Act out, at least Disney still had Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, Mighty Ducks. Yeah. They still did all right. That's kind of like um, if you look at – I can't think of his name. The guy that plays Cliff Clavin on on uh, Cheers. Um, John Ratzenberger. John Ratzenberger. If you look at his average score on – I think it's Rotten Tomatoes. He's like one of the highest – has one of the highest ratings per actor of quality films. But that's because he's in all the Pixar films. If you take those out, then mm-hmm. he's like down at the bottom because he did like Motel Hell and um, some indie film called Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Well, and then, like I said, the other studio that Disney has, Hollywood Pictures, they had several movies in 1992. I'll just kind of go over the list. I won't go over the specifics other than the highest grossing film, which I believe was one of the highest grossing films that Hollywood Pictures ever put out, uh, is The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, which made $88 million, and it finished 12th place on the year-end box office. Uh, After that, The Distinguished Gentleman was 34th, Medicine Man was 35th, and Encino Man was 38th. Three all in that little cluster right there. Uh, Consenting Adults was 59th, Straight Talk was 61st, A Stranger Among Us was 89th, and then we get down into the serious artsy movies, or at least I want to believe so. Serafina was 105th place, and then Passed Away was 126th, and rounding out the list is Blame It on the Bellboy, which $3.1 million, good enough for 131st place. So they, So Hollywood made $290 million dollars cumulatively so over 10 films so they made 29 million per film so actually less than touchstone even though they had you know again they had hand rocks the cradle but i guess sister act kind of carried the rest of the mm-hmm. films and i wanted to ask you chad we, we, we said one of the reasons we did this reformat not only because the katzenberg memo we want to talk about the singles and doubles but also that both disney and especially hollywood pictures were really ramping up their production. And in a weird way, like the student has become the, the teacher or vice versa, where Touchstone only has two films that make it into the top 50 on the box office. And I remember in previous years, we've had there were some years, I think the it was like eight or nine mm. top 50 films that one year. And I think the only, and then like the only movie they had that wasn't in the top 50 was like 54th or something. Touchstone only has two in the top 50, but both Disney and Hollywood Pictures placed four films in the top 50 in 1992. So it's like. It's almost like the it's quality over quantity, maybe, or maybe I guess it's both. Touchstone didn't have a lot of quantity, and also the, what few they made did not do as well. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, I don't think we touched on it in the previous episodes when we we're discussing Disney and Hollywood, but you know, I'd be curious what their setup was as to who got what film. Was it an in, you know each studio individually getting scripts, or is it? Disney as a whole getting scripts and then someone being like, well, this would be a better touchstone picture or this would be a better mm. Hollywood picture. How did they decide to divvy it up? Or is it just, you know, each studio got every script and touchstone's like, no, no, we got this one first. So we're going to take it. I, I don't know. I'm, I would That's be curious true. to know. Yeah. If they, and especially with Hollywood being new, did they want to move more stuff that they thought maybe bigger to that studio to, you know, help launch it better? I, Maybe. I mean, it's like with Hollywood Records. They had different different presidents, right? And then I, but I'd read a lot of the executives worked on both sets of films. It seemed like some of the development chain. But yeah, that's a good question. If only we we know somebody from who worked (laughs) at Touchstone who could kind of clear that up. And and it's a little spoiler that we might be having one of those interviews coming up soon. Uh, But those are the movies that Disney made at the box office. Chad, I always like to turn it over to you and Mm. you can tell us what were the top 10 films in the box office of 1992. We already know two of them. So yeah. what were the other eight? Well, you know, I don't think this list is really going to surprise that many people. If you know what movies came out in 1992. Um, yeah. So I'll just get right into it. Cause there are no real surprises. Uh, number 10 is a league of their own. The great Penny Marshall female baseball movie. Uh, I, 
little side plug, you know, we always talk personal connections on these episodes. The scene in the League of Their Own where they go and pick up the quote-unquote ugly girl and she's hitting home runs in the gym. That is in New Harmony, Indiana, and my very first professional job was shooting a Larry Bird commercial in that gym with Larry Bird. <laughs> so there you go. I believe, I believe one of our mutual friends, Brandon Ridge, was like an extra in some of the baseball scenes. Okay. They filmed them in the Evansville, Indiana area. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number nine, uh, the and I'm blanking on the writer's name, so I'm just going to power through. It's the, the Michael Douglas Sharon Stone thriller, Basic Instinct, Joe Esterhaus. Oh, Joe Esterhaus. That's Joe the, Esterhaus. Yeah, that's ah. the name. The the film that didn't launch his career, but launched him into getting to where we got like I think a new sexual thriller for like the next three years from him, and none of them lived up to Basic Instinct. Uh, number eight, probably the only truly great SNL inspired film. It's Wayne's World. Uh, yeah. no, I should say League of Their Own made $107 million, Basic Instinct 117 and Wayne's World 121.6. I will seven. say, Chad, we're, we're starting to notice now, remember when we first started doing these, there were top 10 films that, that made less than 100. Yeah. So now it's like a given that we're, we're talking triple digits after the, to make it in the top 10. Yeah, True. So. Uh, number seven, you know, a movie that uh, launched – did. It, I'm trying to think. I think this launched Whitney Houston's acting career. It is The Bodyguard, and it made $121.9 million and launched several soundtracks as, as well. So mm-hmm. uh, number six, as you mentioned, is Sister Act with $139 million. Number five, the Aaron Sorkin pen Rob Reiner directed A Few Good Men, made the leap from Broadway to screen with $141 million. Number four, even though I think it was five years earlier, he said he was getting too old for this. He comes back for Lethal Weapon 3, and Danny Glover <laughs> made $144 million. Lethal Weapon 3 was number four yeah. at the box office. That Wow. Uh, number three, Batman Returns returned to the top ten, uh, you know, a few years after the Tim Burton movie, the Tim Burton sequel, at number three with $162.8 million. Number two, the movie that I always point to when I talk about sequels that are made purely as cash grabs and just recycle everything from the original, it's Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, with $173 million. Uh, uh, yeah, that came out right on the holidays, too. It was, it was yeah. destined for uh, financial greatness, I right. guess, yeah. And then, as you mentioned, the number one movie released in the calendar year of 1992 is the cinematic animated classic Aladdin with $217 million. And it's so good. It's so good. I mean, it's nice to see like a lot of times now, now we get the year in box office champ. And sometimes it's like, do we like it? Do we not? Is it just something that was like I said, it was a sequel or a franchise. I give them credit for making something. Maybe we're coming off the heels of beauty and the beast. That was so critically acclaimed. Mm -hmm. And, and like I said, it came out late, late in the year. So it wasn't like it was some summer juggernaut, right? It came out right on Thanksgiving. Yeah. And it just kind of stayed past the holidays and into, the, into 1993 as well. So, uh, well, those were the financially successful films. But what about the critically successful <laughs> films? We always like to look at the Oscars for 1992. And we start by looking at the films that touched on release that got Oscar nominations. And for the second straight year... Touchstone did not receive a single Oscar nomination. Now that's going to change. It felt like there was a stretch where like every year Touchstone had, had an Oscar nomination to maybe it was something technical or maybe it was one film getting several uh, nominations. Um, Disney, I mean, Aladdin got five nominations itself and it won two awards, but yeah, nothing, nothing from Touchstone that year. So uh, again, I said 1993, I already know ahead of time, there's going to be some acting nominations. So looking forward to that when we get there, but uh, um as far as the actual Oscars itself, once again, I'll turn over to my co-host Chad mm-hmm. to give us the rundown of the best picture and actors, actors. for 1992 yeah. at the Oscars. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting you talk about the, the box office chart was the popular films. Now we're going to the critically acclaimed films. And, yeah, there's not uh, a whole lot of overlap in those two <laughs> uh, categories. I think... You know, when you talk 1992 Oscars, which, again, were presented in 1993, probably the the one 
thing that everyone who is an Oscar historian and knows their Oscars will point to is the best supporting actress category. I will just say. Oh, I think I remember that. So your nominees were Miranda Richardson in Damage, Vanessa Redgrave in Howard's End, Joan Plowright for Enchanted April, Judy Davis for Husbands and Wives, and did she win or did she not? That's been the debate. You're, you're a winner, and I think she did because she was fabulous in the role. It is Marissa Tomei in My Cousin Vinny. Yeah, I think I remember, was that, her, remember correctly, Jack Palance mm-hmm. had won Supporting Actor the year before for City Slickers, and during his speech, maybe it was a joke that Bruce Valanche or somebody yeah. wrote, but he said, we got five foreign nominees in the category, four from England and one from Brooklyn. Yeah. I, I do remember that from that award show, yeah. Yeah. Uh, going over to the Best Supporting Actor, you have David Paymer in Mr. Saturday Night. And I don't know about you, you Mike, but David Paymer is one of those character actors that I, I think I first got to realize who he was on the short-lived NBC show Boston Common with Anthony mm-hmm. Clark. And now every time I see him pop up in things, I'm just like, oh, it's David Paymer. Just He's really him. good. Yeah. He's really good in State and Maine, the David yeah. Mamet film, too. Yeah. Uh, Al Pacino for Glengarry Glenn Ross. Ooh, I tell uh, Jack Nicholson for A Few Good Men. Jay Davidson for The Crying Game, which the Oscars actually ruined the twist in that movie for me two days before seeing the film. So sure. thank you, Billy Crystal. And then uh, your winner for Best Supporting Actor is Gene Hackman in Unforgiven. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He's really good in that movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, moving on to Best Actress, your nominees were Susan Sarandon for Lorenzo's Oil, Michelle Pfeiffer. Lovefield, who coincidentally, coincidentally, the day we were recording this, it's Michelle Pfeiffer's birthday. So happy birthday, Michelle Pfeiffer. That's right. Uh, Mary McDonald for Passion Fish. Catherine Deneuve for, and I am going to butcher this title. I don't know how to pronounce it. So if you can help me, Mike, if you know it, it's Endocrine? In- Indochine? Oh, Indochine. Indochine. Okay. Just the way it looks. Yeah. And your winner is Emma Thompson for Howard's End. Mm, okay. Uh, your best actor, your nominees were Denzel Washington and Malcolm X, Stephen Ray for The Crying Game, Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven, Robert Downey Jr. for Chaplin, and the winner, ending his Susan Lucci-esque streak of being nominated and not winning an Oscar, it's Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was nominated Best Actor and Supporting Actor. Hmm, good for him. Hoo-ha. Hoo-ha, indeed. Your best director, your nominees are Martin Brest for Scent of a Woman. I believe, did he do um, Beverly Hills Cop? I believe he did. Yeah. And then I believe he went on to do Geely. Yes, I do believe you are correct as well. Yeah, just a little tidbit for you. The guy who was nominated for best director directed Geely. Robert Altman for The Player. James Ivory for Howard's End. Neil Jordan for The Crying Game. And your winner, even though he lost Best Actor, he gets to take home an award anyway. It's Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven. And then Best Picture, if you're paying attention, you can probably guess which the five nominees are. They are Scent of a Woman, Howard's End, A Few Good Men, The Crying Game, and the winner is Unforgiven. I feel like Unforgiven was one of those movies that I think I may have saw it after it got name to the AFI 100 movie list and I thought it was like okay it's fine and then I think I watched it again later and I'm like that's a good movie I could see why that's really good and that's one of the few movies that I would ever say when you watch it you say I'd like to see a prequel to this because <laughs> all you ever hear in the whole movie is how ruthless mm-hmm. and really like I a badass Clint Eastwood was as a younger man now he's how he's changed as an older man I would I think a, a prequel would be pretty good that's one that I saw when I was in college because the theater at university on the campus of university of Arizona would occasionally do test screenings of films. And so they would pair them up and do a double feature with whatever movie they were normally showing. So they showed unforgiven and then did a test screening of dragon, the Bruce Lee story right after. So interesting double feature. I, I liked unforgiven. I didn't love unforgiven, but then a few years Mm -hmm. later I read the screenplay and it made me want to go back and rewatch the film. Cause I'm like, the screenplay is really good. And then watching the movie, I'm not still like, okay, it's good, but it just didn't, it didn't grab me the way that the screenplay did. So, but, mm. uh, and I could, 
I can see why Hackman won and yeah. Clint Eastwood didn't because I think Hackman's like he's fantastic in that yeah. movie. I really I really liked him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, well now it's time for us to hand out our awards of our own. I call them the Ronnie Awards, named after the founder of Touchstone Pictures, Ron W. Miller. Uh, and we're going to start. I'll I'll start with uh, my best supporting actress. This is from me. Only had six choices, at least six movies to choose from. But we actually, I think we had a, a good selection of performances. Maybe not a whole lot of honorable mentions. But uh, again, I'll begin it off uh, with my best supporting actress, and I chose Maggie Smith from Sister Act. Uh, I mean, it's a lengthy career in England, and I think this was a movie that kind of put her on the map in America, and rightfully so. You know, she plays a very stern character with a, a streak of charm that's just sort of bubbling under the surface i thought you know she had the best arc of any character in the whole film you know she provides she provided like a, a moral high ground of a profession that's kind of known for righteousness right these nuns and i i really feel like comedies that involve nuns they always kind of play them very broadly you know like they're either those nuns are either really really silly or really really strict and Maggie don't play that. Like, like she was, she's a pro. Like she never really goes over the top in either direction. She's just solid. And and like I said, she's a, just a, like I said, the best supporting actress of the year. I thought. Yeah. I, when I was making my list, I was like, wow, the, we, we've talked before about how touchstone has kind of a problem with strong female roles. And even though one of the film or two of the films in this year, you know, were headlined by women, I, I think we, it really comes down in the female categories to one film. So my supporting actress as well is Maggie Smith with an honorable mm. mention to Kathy and Jimmy. And that was just, I think those are the two main supporting uh, characters in that film. Yeah. I, I thought that, you know, I, I like the other nuns mm. in sister act as well. Like I said, the honorable mention that I had was Alfre Woodard and the gun in Betty Lou's mm. handbag. But I, I really liked her. I actually wish she would have been in the movie a little bit more. And then I think when the, I think there's a scene in the film where like she gets kidnapped and then just brought into some of the violent angle of the film. And that's where it goes off the deep end. I like when she was just providing that comic relief kind of, but uh, yeah. And then I think that all of the the women in noises off kind of split the vote a little bit or they weren't on screen enough. Mary Lou Henner, Carol Burnett, like you didn't get to get to see enough of them, but uh, all right, well then Chad, well, I'll let you kick off best supporting actor. Who did you choose? Yeah. And this one, I'm, I'm curious to see how we go because this one, as we've discussed previously on, on the Ronnie's is, is how do you separate best actor and best supporting actor, you know, for certain roles, I went supporting actor with Christopher Reeve for noises off just because oh. he, you know, we know him, as we said on the show, we know him as Superman and to see him playing this kind of insecure, uh, thespian who is trying to do his best, but he doesn't really know what he's doing. I, I thought he showed range that I was not expecting out of Christopher Reeve. Nice. Yeah, that's a good choice because my choice for best supporting actor was John Ritter for Noises mm. Off. And I think it was just because I think he was so much well suited for the comedy, you know, mm. like it's a cast full of really talented actors and John Ritter's comedic chops kind of shine through. He's the he's got the best timing of anyone mm. in the cast, I think. And he uses it to like full effect. You know, I don't know about you. It just seemed like throughout his career, he I never really got the he never really got the credit that he deserved, mm. I think, because he always he never seemed to mind being the butt of a joke right like it was he was so much pratt falls and all that and stuff and i, I really thought that he should have been more like i said, had a more respect in the world of comedy you know and it it's it's easy to get lost in the ensemble of noises off considering all the craziness that's going on in the movie but he manages to me at least in my eyes he managed to stick out quite nicely you know it's mm. it's, it's a little hard to watch now and not feel a little bit sad that we didn't get more great performances from him like this but yeah i mean you can't go wrong with either of those two guys from Noises Off, I think. I just went with the one that was that was more known for doing the comedy and mm. nailed it versus the guy who was more known for doing the drama and did a, and did a, played, did a pretty good job of playing mm. this stuffy guy and all this funny stuff happens around him, right? Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I had my honorable, honorable mention is Michael Caine for Noises Off. So Oh, okay. My honorable mention was Victor Wong from Three Ninjas. <laughs> You don't even see him. He's like, I'm going to go to get those kids. And then he just disappears because he's a ninja. Oh. Uh, the only other one I thought of was, I mean, I like Jeffrey Tambor in Crossing the Bridge, but he wasn't really in it yeah. long enough. He just had a couple of scenes. Wish I could have seen a little bit more from him. Uh, well, as Chad mentioned, I think we're, we're very limited in our choices for best actress. And it was a toss up. And um, I, I went with Penelope Ann Miller from mm. the gun in Betty Lou's handbag. I honestly, given the choice between her and the other choice that there was for the year i i just really think that 
Penelope Ann Miller is a very underrated actress and she had to carry a film that didn't have the strongest script. You know, she blend did a really good job of blending the comedy and the drama. Like, I feel like she was very believable as both the mousy housewife and also that extroverted social butterfly. You know, the, the transformation of the character of Betty Lou, it's, it's handled quite well. And she gives it just the right amount of warmth and humor. You know, she's had a she's had a great career of solid supporting roles. And it's a shame that she didn't get to be the lead more often. And I, I really thought that, like, this fit right into that early 90s model, the Disney model that Katzenberg was going after, right? The singles and doubles. But then yet she never comes, Penelope Miller just never comes back to, to Disney or Touchstone. Like, it's weird, maybe because this film just did so poorly. But I thought she, I thought she carried it good enough, yeah. I should say. And I, I was, it was, it stood out a little bit more than some of the other female performances of the year for me. Right. Well, I went with the uh, kind of default choice with Whoopi Goldberg for Sister Act. And I think, like I said, I, I really like Penelope Ann Miller. And I think maybe because that movie didn't have the lasting impression on me that I, I kind of hoped that when it came time to choose these, you know, it's it's like they say when, when the Oscars, if you release a movie early in the year, it gets forgotten about because you back end uh, a lot of the awards contending films um, in the year. But yeah, so I think maybe Sister Act just overpowered the gun in Betty Lou's handbag for me. But uh, but I, I, I applaud your choice, and I'm glad you didn't go with the, I guess, obvious one to go with. So it makes us, you know, gives us a little bit difference of opinion and different talking points. But Whoopi Goldberg, you know, she it's Whoopi Goldberg. And I'm, I'm also going yeah. to throw in, um, you know, the Screen Actors Guild, I think, awards categories for, like, multiple uh movies uh, i'm gonna throw whoopi goldberg seraphina in here as well because i think that was probably oh. if if we had opened this up to uh to all disney you know uh studios not that she was great her acting was that much better because she has a supporting role in seraphina but i think that movie just is probably the one movie that i was really surprised to discover in 1992 in her look back yeah, what if we if we opened it up to Hollywood pictures, you wouldn't yeah. have voted for Dolly Parton or <laughs> Melanie, Melanie Griffith? And well, I probably would have. I'm just saying, like Serafina would probably be my my best surprise film or biggest surprise. Oh or, yeah, or even probably yeah, we'll maybe be, even best picture because I I just really enjoyed that film. I think everyone oh yeah needs to go out and see it. Oh for sure, yeah. And like I said Whoopi uh, Whoopi was my honorable mention. Obviously, mm. like I thought it was a, it was a toss up between those two. And the only reason I went with uh, Penelope Ann Miller not because I also. I, I like that performance, but I think we mentioned it on the sister act episode. I think there was some parts of the character that I didn't care for, which was like yeah. the, the idea that she was hiding out and yet she was just like, I can't be in here. And she, yeah. it was like, I don't know. I, I didn't like that. Maybe that's, maybe that's a screenplay, not her because she was great movie. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to hear about that movie for years. We're going to hear about it soon. We're going to get another sequel to it. Right. So Reverend mother on behalf of all the sisters here at St. Catherine's, I'd like to offer a great big hi there and hello to sister Mary Clarence. Mm -hmm. Hi. And as part of the welcome, I thought that maybe our new sister could offer today's blessing. Well, that is very thoughtful of you, Mary Patrick, but I really... Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I could do that. Uh, sure. Uh, bless us, O Lord, for these thy gifts which we're about to receive. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of no food... I will fear no hunger. We want you to give us this day our daily bread and to the republic for which it stands. And by the power invested in me, I pronounce us ready to eat. Amen. Chat, so then who did you have as your best actor for 1992? Well, much like the best actress, I felt like there was really only one standout male performance, and that is Martin Short. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> you never go full Marty. Um, no, I went, you know, shocking, surprisingly enough, based on your supporting actor and the uh, choice, I went with John Ritter for um, Noises Off just because oh, okay. I, I, again, like you said, he, he is so good at what he does. So maybe it isn't that much of a stretch for the fact that we got a great performance out of him. But I just, you know, that is a movie that I'd only seen once prior to um, to doing the episode and it's a great underrated film. And I thought John Ritter just, you know, like you said, he, I think we take him for granted because of how good he is. He, he just makes it yeah. look 
natural. Yeah, and I think it, it goes back to what you were saying before about when you're dealing with an ensemble film, what's supporting, what's lead? Mm. Because I had Michael Caine as an honorable mention okay. in the lead. Because I'm like, if anybody from that film was probably close to being the lead, right. it might be him. Even though they're, everyone probably has equal amounts of screen time. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, again, that's, there's a reason that I had him as my supporting. Because I wasn't sure if, if, if he wasn't going to be out my choice for, for lead actor. It's like, mm. wasn't there, I think there was that one year Catherine Zeta-Jones won supporting actress for chicago because yeah. it was like well if we put her in the lead she's probably not going to win put her in the supporting and she'll probably she'll do a good job yeah. but uh yeah my best actor and i think i mentioned it on that episode because it, he was the his performance was easily the best part of the movie uh, was josh charles mm. crossing the bridge um you know i've been a fan of his since sports night you know but i wasn't really overly familiar with all of his early film work you know i'm glad that touchstone remembered him from his great role in dead poet society yeah and brought him back because, like I said, he's the best part of Crossing the Bridge. You know, he seems to be the conscience of that group of friends, but he's also open to doing something outside the law just to break up the monotony of his life. You know, it's 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 hard not to like him because he tends to make the correct decision every time he's faced with a tough choice in the film. You know, he, he has this real Midwestern kind of sensibility to him. You know, the movie's set in Michigan. It seems to fit, even though I did read that he's actually from Baltimore himself, you know. But, I, you know, I think you mentioned it. Um, we talked about William Hurt or maybe Richard Gere, where you said you saw the movie and you wanted to seek out more mm-hmm. roles of that actor. I want to see more Josh Charles stuff. I, I can't even really think of other. I mean, I think he's in Threesome, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously, we know he, he's, he's great in the uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. But I feel like there's so many other roles because Sports Night wasn't until about 1999, I want to say. Mm-hmm. So he was still making films in the 90s. I, I want to go watch more of them. Yeah, good choice. Yeah, I I would say out of those the three leading or the three actors in Crossing the Bridge, yeah, he probably had the strongest performance. And and again, it's just a, it was a I don't want to say well-written role, it was a well-written character per se, but yeah. Yeah, and he does he, again, he makes it believe, you know, this is what and, and this is what acting is. It's making you believe they're the character. You know, and that sounds so simple, but it's, you know, a lot of times you get wrapped up in, oh, that, especially as we've said, going back and watching these films now where we, you know, had we seen this in 92, we wouldn't know who Josh Charles is. But now with his career, and like you said, with Sports Night, you kind of, it, it's the reason why I have a hard time watching Arrested Development is because I'm like, oh, that's Michael Sarah. Oh. oh, that's this. You know, you don't know these characters before they kind of got typecast. And, yeah. and Josh Charles, yeah, he just plays that role so well, so. Just have something to say, and then I'll leave. Look. That thing that we had two summers ago. I never really got over you. That's why I wrote you all those stupid letters. And then seeing you again last week. I just thought maybe there could be something between us again. I fought it, Carol. Believe me, I really have. But I'm really still in love with you. I'm scared I'm always going to be, too. From an honorable mention standpoint, like I said, I had Michael Caine in Noises Off. I mean, maybe you could throw a bone to Kurt Russell from Captain Ron because he does kind of make that film, yeah. Yeah, I did. That was my honorable mention, just just because, yeah, (laughs) there was really nothing else that, uh, that I just wanted to throw out, you know, Kurt Russell, because he's Kurt Russell. Like I said, we only had six movies to choose from. I mean, I asked you before we recorded this, should we include the Hollywood pictures? And you're like, no, no, we've got six to choose from. We'll, we'll be okay. But uh, mm. So, yeah, so from a, a best picture standpoint, um, I may have snubbed them, whoopee for, for my best actress, but the best picture of 1992 to me was Sister Act. Like, I mean, and I, I you know, when we watched, when I watched that film for the first time back in 2019, it spawned the idea for this podcast. And I was just as excited to watch it again. And surprisingly, I, I, I think I liked it even more this time around. You know, it has an incredible supporting cast. Like we said, all the nuns are just perfectly cast. You know, the only real flaw, which I think we pointed out in the episode as well, is the the gangsters are very cartoonish. Mm-hmm. But after all, it's a comedy, so I, I can I, I can I don't fault them for that. You know, the use of all those popular songs as a church choir performance that was t- totally inspired. You know, and I'm sure I'm sure the movie could have still been pretty good with Bette Midler in the lead role, but. Whoopi makes this film and, you know, and I'm glad we're getting, 
a sequel to watch in 1993. You know, we got another one on the way. I'm, I'm not sure. I've been back and lower my expectations a little bit. I haven't heard the greatest things about it, but I'm still excited to revisit the Dolores Van Cartier character, you know? And so, and, be, and the last thing I, I have in my notes is just, it's very uplifting and it was a perfect film to watch while we've all been stuck at home for the last year. Well, as I said on the show, I, I was not a fan when I originally saw Sister Act in the theater. Watching it again, I still have issues with, with the film. And so uh, it's not my best film. Mine, you can probably actually guess based on my nominees so far, it, I went with Noises Off just because I think it's sure. a kind of like what you just said about Sister Act. It's a fun film that, you know, I also think it, it criminally over or underrated and overlooked. You know, a lot of people probably have not seen it, especially judging by that box office report. But Oof. it's just, like you said, it's an ensemble cast who does their job extremely well. And it just, yeah, it gets a little tedious and repetitive towards the end because you're seeing the play for the third time. But I thought it, I just thought it was a really well-written script. And it makes me want to see the play, which, yeah, you know, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing to discuss amongst yourselves but yeah i just i thought again with that cast just everyone was on mark and uh not just mark lynn baker but everyone else was on mark as well yeah like i said i i'm i definitely want to see the play now just to see how it's because i've heard it's it's supposed to be really popular it's mm-hmm. had one of the most performed plays ever i thought i read something yeah. about that but yeah and we, we always we joke about it a little bit on this show like if, if those of you who are listening i don't know who listens to this show i see the download numbers and i'm always surprised because this is just this is just two old college friends watching a bunch of movies. But if you're listening to this, please make sure you watch Noises Off. Yeah. Like I, I just feel like it's one of those ones that you need to go back. I mean, I also feel like some of these Hollywood pictures are yeah. definitely worth watching because you probably haven't heard of them. Right. But th- this is kind of the reason why I started this show. Yeah, Noises Off is obviously my honorable mention as well because it was kind of a two horse race for the whole year, honestly. But I just Sister Act was a little bit one that I found myself a little bit more cheering for but yeah noises off it's just so good go watch it stop listening to us or when the show's over go find like i said it's streaming on hoopla if you have a library card you can get a free stream of it go check it out brooke sorry you're lying come on love we're two lines away from the end of the act i don't understand give her the line what's that dad yes but i don't understand it's what's that dad yes i say to you but i'll tell you something vicky and you say to me but what's that dad i don't understand why the sheik looks like philip Poppy, bring the book. Is that the line, Poppy? I, I don't understand why the sheik looks like Philip. Can we consult the author's text, make absolutely sure? Well, I think it's... Uh, what's that, Dad? Right. That's the line, Brooklove. We know you've worked over in London in some very classy places where they let you make the play up as you go along. But we don't want that kind of thing here, love. Not when the author has provided us with such a considered and polished line of his own. Not at one o'clock in the morning. Not two lines away from the end of Act One. Not when we're just about to get a coffee break before we all drop dead from exhaustion. We merely want to hear the line, What's that, Dad? That's all. Nothing else! I'm not being unreasonable, am I? Exit. Does it say exit? Uh, the last category we have is something that, that Chad had come up with, and I, I love it, um, and that is the best soundtrack of 1992. So, Chad, I'll let you go ahead and lead off. What was your best soundtrack of the Touchstone films of 1992? Again, I, I'm not one to really notice a soundtrack unless it's very prominent, and so obviously the most prominent soundtrack is Sister Act. And so that's, you know, if you ask me to name more than one song from any of these films... Um, I've got nothing. So I'm going with Sister Act just because, again, it's, the music makes the movie. And it's I always go back to what Siskel and Ebert said um, about that thing you do, where when the song, the success of the film hinges on a song, that's got to be good to, for the movie to, you know, to uh, to hold up. And Sister Act, like you just mentioned, the usage, the use of hymnals and, and spiritual songs to tie into the story just really worked. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, that, that was my honorable mention, though. Ooh. But I do I agree on, along those same lines. The music does make the movie. And the musical performances in the movie are some of the best parts of the film as a whole. Um, but no, my best soundtrack, uh, you know, if the film was set in the 70s, and so they got a, it has a great soundtrack to establish the setting and the time period, 
and that's Crossing the Bridge. Hmm. Um, you know, you get songs. I, I know we in that episode we used I'd Love to Change the World by 10 Years After, which is such an awesome song. You get Fortunate Son by Creedence. You got Bob Seger. You got Jimi Hendrix. You get Locomotive Breath by Jethro Tull. You know, anytime you get Jethro Tull on a soundtrack, you got, you're in for something good, you know? And I like how they focused on the rock music of the 70s. They didn't just work in a bunch of other st- stuff. It was rock music because we assume that this is a group of, like, tough guy or wannabe tough guy friends. And that's probably what they were listening to at that time. That's what they were listening to when they're driving around in their station wagon, right? You know, and I feel like when we watch movies, especially movies... Music is is a big part of nostalgia, and that's what this film was. You know, this film is basically Mike Binder, the writer-director. It's his upbringing on screen. And so when you see it, it sets the, it sets the place. And it, I'm, I'm so glad that he chose such awesome songs rather than just the standard 70s hits that we're getting used to. He kind of went a little bit off the beaten path. Come on, Jethro Tell. I can't go wrong with Jethro Tell. So, yeah, that was... That was my choice for the best soundtrack. Uh, yeah, but I'm going um, to say, you know, 1970s a movie set in Detroit. And, you know, you should have some Alice Cooper, some Bob Seger, some Iggy Pop, some, you know. Kiss? Well, yes, if you want to go well, really generic, it's the Detroit Rock City. But I'm going with the bands go. from the Motor City. There's yeah, like, Bob Se- there's a Bob Seger song in the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. It's not one of his bigger hits, but yeah. Uh, and then the last thing we always like to do, this is something that I think also checking up with, was... We was like look at what were our most surprising and most disappointing films. Now we're, we're being nice. We're not. I'm, I'm not going to harp on these and just say, "Oh, it was terrible." It was disappointing because I like that Chad has taken it to another level where we try to get into our nuances of why are we surprised by it and why were we disappointed by it. And so, I'll start with my most surprising film of the year. Again, we've only got six to choose from, <laughs> and my most surprising film of the year, honestly, was Three Ninjas. Hmm. And it's because I thought this was going to be absolutely dumb and aimed at children. And I wound up enjoying the ride. Like I, it just, it took me back to both my childhood and the early nineties when I was finishing high school. And I, I could, I could definitely see myself watching this movie again at some point, you know, I thought it was just going to be silly. And it was, I was pleasantly surprised. I guess if I lowered my expectations enough that it met him and went beyond, even though it's not a good movie by any means, <laughs> It's just it, I was I it was surprisingly likable. Yeah, I am waiting for our friends over at Lights Camera Fletch to do their review to see how a you know a kid today reacts to that movie. But uh, you know, my biggest surprise and biggest disappointment films are actually probably in a way switched from when and when you hear my reasoning, you'll that'll hopefully make some sense. But my biggest surprise was Captain Ron because I, I was surprised at how generic the film was like I, I expected more i guess like you said kurt russell you know being kurt russell and even martin short who didn't go full marty so it wasn't as bad as three fugitives and I, you know he's good in three amigos and some other films and even i guess in father of the bride he was great but i was just kind of surprised at how generic that film was like i wasn't expecting greatness i expected just a fun early 90s film and i got that i enjoyed it but I just, I, I think I wanted more out of it. And I was kind of surprised at how it just, as we said on the show, it didn't, it didn't meet any trope that it couldn't, that it didn't like. And that was just kind of a, mm. just kind of a surprise that, come on, you can work in, you know, a somewhat better story. So. Okay. Yeah. And then what was your most disappointing then, Chad? My biggest disappointment was crossing the bridge because I wanted, again, I wanted more out of it. I liked the film. I thought it was a good you know, a film that I've never heard of. And I, I like the three principal actors. You know, we mentioned Josh Charles. There's also Stephen Baldwin and Jason Gedrick. You know, you had the blink and you'll miss him cameos by wrestlers, Jerry Lynn and Sean Waltman, which I was like, Oh my gosh. After I went back and saw them because I did blink and miss them. And you had Coob from Parker Lewis. Kelly. You know, you just got this great support Jeffrey Tambor, you know, it's great cast. And I, I, I wanted that nostalgia feeling like you were talking about where, it was just a good film um, about, you know, this, these high school kids or post-high school kids. And, you know, as we said on the show, I think something was just missing in the, in the execution. And, again, I, I would still recommend people seek out the film, watch it. I think it's, it's worth watching. I just 
I, I, it's kind of like disorganized crime. I just, based on the cast, I wanted a little bit more and it didn't live up to my expectations. So like you said, you lower expectations. You, you are pleasantly surprised. If you go in with too high expectations, it's got a lot to live up to. That, that very well said, Chad. And it's a good, a good example with uh, disorganized crime because yeah, my most disappointing movie was crossing the bridge as well. Mm. And I think, you know, it's hard to name. I mean, you, you, you kind of put it in perspective there, but if you look at, like I said, this year was 1992 was it's noises off it's sister act and it's the other four. Yeah. And in my notes, I called it the bottom four. And I, I hope not to be too mean, but yeah, when you got two standout films and you got four other ones. And I think of those four films, crossing the bridge was the only one that I didn't have completely low expectations mm-hmm. for, you know, three ninjas, Captain Ron gutting Benedict's handbag. I had not heard good things about these, about them. And so I'm like, okay, they're going to be what they are. Crossing the bridge, I was like, okay, Mike Binder, I'm familiar with his work. Again, I, I knew who Josh Charles was. I, Jason Gedrick, come on, Iron Eagle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just, it, it just didn't quite do it. Like as much as I love the soundtrack and Josh Charles's performance, the rest of the film just kind of fell flat mm-hmm. in my eyes. You know, like, I feel like, like you mentioned, there's a, there's a decent story there. And I think a better film could have probably been made from that subject matter. It just didn't quite care. But again, watch it mm-hmm. form your own opinion. This is just, this is just two guys yeah. because there's probably, I mean, I was really surprised when I looked at the film on IMDb and like all the reviews were just glowing. And there's a lot of people who were from that, that were at that, that age who remember growing up at that time, or they grew up in Michigan as well. You know, it's like, I grew up in Hawaii. It was a completely different upbringing from Mike Binder, but but yeah, like I, I would say, I wouldn't say don't watch it, but I would say, Hey, just be prepared basically. Yeah. Um, well, that's it. I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of, that's the end of uh, 1992. You know, I really feel like, you know, there's only six films, but it was a good chance for touchstone to focus on some breakthroughs, you know, like whether it was Penelope Ann Miller as an actress or Mike Binder as a filmmaker, but the box office, unfortunately had other ideas. Yes. You know, I feel like, Kurt Russell's Captain Ron character gained a certain cult status. You know, we got several sequels to Three Ninjas, you know, but you'd have to say it was kind of a disappointing year, if not for Whoopi and Sister Act. I mean, we love Noises Off, but it didn't make a no. dent at all, right? Yeah, nobody saw Noises Off. It, you know, I think that was lights off at the theater as well. So, <laughs> well, but the thing is, I'm glad we did the reformat. When we did, you know, we missed we missed a couple of Hollywood pictures in 1990 and 1991. But I went back and watched a, few, a couple of them, you know, um, but it's been really fun to see some of these Hollywood pictures. You know, I feel like The Distinguished Gentleman and Passed Away are both really, really good movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish our people would would see them again. I'll, I'll praise Passed Away. I, I just man, I absolutely love that. And then, you know, like as Chad mentioned, everyone should see Serafina. Like that's, it's a fascinating film. And to a lesser extent, I think people should see Medicine Man. You know, it had, we had some issues. I mean, Rocco's casting was a little bit questionable, but it was, it was totally different. Like it was just this idea, the idea of, okay, it's a doctor looking for a cure to cancer in the middle of the Amazon jungle. I feel like maybe there might've been films, you know, you look at the African queen or something like that, that might've been similar to it, but it's, it was different enough that I'm glad that, that touchstone or I should say Hollywood and Katzenberg was making those kind of films, you know? And if you look at, even if you look at Walt Disney pictures from 1992, every single movie they did was good. And I say that because I even enjoyed newsies, you know, newsies is a movie that as soon as it was over, I was like, huh? And then the next day I'm like, you know, it wasn't that bad. I don't understand why people <laughs> thought, I mean, like Chad, I, I know you felt the same way about Serafina, but mm. was there any of the other, the Hollywood and the Disney films? I, I felt like we had a, it was a pretty good year. What, say what you will about Tr- Stranger Among Us and, you know, but well, I blame it on the Bellboy had some moments. But, yeah. yeah. I, I won't say too much about Stranger Among Us because the less said, the better, but no, I am with you. I, I thought Newsies, you know, it was a fine film and a, Going back to what I was saying about Josh Charles early, going back now and watching Christian Bale in this, you know, musical, it's not what I would expect Christian Bale to be doing. But no, he was good. Passed away. Like I said, I had issues with some of the um, kind of slapstick moments of the film. And I thought there were too many characters if you pare it down a little bit. But I I enjoyed the film. Uh, I don't think you touched on Encino Man. If you did, I missed it. You know, but come on. It's Encino Man. It's, you know. Um, I think we're I think we're going to get the better Pauly Shore picture in 1993, but yeah. that's just me. Okay, and then yeah, I you know even Mighty Ducks, which I will recommend the Mighty Ducks 
TV series on uh, Disney Plus right now. Not a sponsor of the show, but I am enjoying that. And uh, yeah, I did. You know, 90, 90, 1992 may not have been the best year, and it may, have, like you said, been top heavy with the the big juggernauts. But there are some really good, underappreciated gems in here, and and I'm glad again that we're doing this podcast because a lot of these films I would not have probably watched thirty years on. If I hadn't already seen them, I'm probably not going back to watch them, and I'm really glad that I did. And I can't say enough, again, about Serafina. I think that's, that is a film that shows you how, how film can really be used in an important way. So, Well, yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure we talked about it on the, the Ronnie Award year in review episode mm-hmm. for 1991, is that I, you know, I'm getting more nostalgic because now we're getting into these films that were – I would have had a driver's license by then. I was going out to the theaters and either it was either movies that I saw or movies that I saw trailers for and never got around to watching, you know, and now 1993 was the year that I finished high school. Mm-hmm. And so we, I'm really looking forward to 1993 because we're going to get into some films from all three studios that I've always wanted to see. And I'm really hoping some of these hold up. I can tell you right now, I've already watched one of the Walt Disney pictures from the beginning of 1993. And I was, pleasantly surprised mm. it was really really good but uh i say we'll, we'll focus on the touchstone films and we'll see how they compare to the the other studios between hollywood and disney and what touchstone film are we focusing on our next episode well it's a drama showing the triumph of the human spirit when facing adversity against the elements what movie is that well you know you're just going to have to tune in to find out uh once again my name is Mike DeKalb, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mike DeKalb. I also run the Out of Touchstone Twitter account. It's at Out of Touchstone. If you want to shoot me an email, it's out of touchstone at gmail.com. My co-host, Chad Smart, he's on Twitter at Chad Smart. He's also the proprietor of the Wonder Why podcast, part of the Positive Cynicism podcasting network production, yeah. I want to call it. Uh, Chad, any final thoughts on 1992 as we look forward to what should hopefully be a fun year in 1993? You know, again, I'm repeating myself, but there are some really good overlooked gems in 1992. Watch them. Try to get away from the, the name brand films that you're used to, I guess. You know, take a chance on some smaller films or some lesser known because you never know what you're going to find. And especially now with all the streaming sites, you know what? It doesn't cost you any more to say, you know, it's not like you're going to the theater and paying 20 bucks and being like, Oh man, that movie was terrible. You just put it on, give it some time. And if you don't like it, you can always hit pause and go back and rewatch the Goonies or can't buy me love or the karate kid or, you know, a, a classic is basically what I'm saying. So take time, watch some underappreciated films. Very well said, Chad. This is out of touchdown, and we're out of time. You're out of touch. I'm out of time. Out of Touchstone is a Honey Nerds production. For more information, visit outoftouchstone.com. Like and subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening. So, you're cool, I'm cool, we're cool. Thank you. Good night.